Welcome to the IFI podcast from the Irish Film Institute. I'm Stephen Boylan, and this is the latest in our short season of IFI podcasts we're making available during the current COVID-19 outbreak. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can contact us on Facebook and Instagram at Irish Film Institute, or on Twitter at IFI underscore dub. The fourth annual Careers in Screen Day, presented by the IFI in association with the Virgin Media Dublin International Film Festival and Screen Skills Ireland, will this year take place online nationwide on Wednesday, March 10th. Aimed at students aged 15 to 18, the event is an opportunity for those thinking of a career in the screen industries to hear from a variety of film and TV specialists, to learn about their work in front of and behind the camera, and to hear what advice they have for young people starting out. For more information on this year's Careers in Screen Day, check out the IFI Careers in Screen website, or our social media channels. For this week, we're visiting Careers Days of Old. First up is a panel discussion from 2019 with director Lenny Abrahamson and producer Ed Guiney. Ed Guiney was just back from Los Angeles where the film he produced, The Favourite, had just won the Oscar for Best Actress along with nominations in nine other categories. Lenny Abrahamson, himself nominated for Best Director in 2016 for Room, was just about to start shooting the BBC and Hulu adaptation of Sally Rooney's best-selling novel, Normal People. Asking the questions is student filmmaker Pippa Maloney. Uh, what I think is really interesting is that uh, neither of you actually went to film school uh, nor studied film. Um, at least you went, you both studied at Trinity College. Then you studied philosophy and physics and uh, you studied your best, yeah, best programme. Um, so my first question is, tell us about the Trinity Video Society and how that all came about. Um, so Lenny and I knew each other in school. We weren't in school together, but we knew each other. In fact, I briefly dated Lenny's sister for uh, three weeks when I was 14, which was very significant uh, at that age. And so we, so we basically, we went to different schools, but we hung around with the, with the same girls' school, if you like. And we used to meet at parties, and we used to chat about films. And so, so sort of just very much just sort of glancing off each other. And then um, I, Lenny went to Trinity, and I followed a year later. And um, I had this notion to set up a filmmaking society using video, which was kind of, it's hard to believe now with iPhones and all that, but it was just an emerging technology back then. So that's kind of mid-80s, I think. Yeah, mid-80s. And so, so Lenny and I and two other friends set up a filmmaking society in college and just made a bunch of really bad documentaries and films that didn't go down too well for quite a while. Um, and then, uh, I guess in our second or third year, we, um, we made a film called Three Joes, which was a comedy that Lenny directed, Michael West wrote, who's a very well-known playwright and still a good friend of ours. And starred three of our contemporaries at that time, Dominic West, who um, went on to do The Wire and lots of other things, and Michael Murphy, who's an amazing theatre director, uh, works a lot with Enda Walsh, and uh, Gary Cook, who you'll know from Prey Match, they were all in the film, so that was kind of how we started. Working on that project, did you know then that you were a dream team, so to speak, at that point? Um, I don't know, I don't think so. I mean, I... It was great fun and it was a really exciting thing to do and it was the first thing we ever did on film with a, a crew and, you know, everything else had been very kind of like just a gang of friends yeah. trying to make, make things that 
they, you know, with whatever was available. But it still, it's like I said earlier today, it, it was still very much a time when there wasn't an awful lot going on. So there wasn't an obvious jumping off point. Ed kept going and very sort of successfully started working. I went off on a bit more of a circuitous route, went to, kept studying, went to the States to do some more studying again, not film, and then came back. And then Ed was busy making films at that point with people like Paddy Brannock and um, other uh, Irish filmmakers who've since gone on to make more and more films. So I, I, there was a, a sort of a place for me to come back to when I finally got it together to, to want to make films again. So, but I think I never considered really not working with Ed. It was always, you know, and, and Ed had built this company by then that was, that was a brilliant sort of home for a project. What, what film, I suppose, taught you the most? Was it Three Joes, your first project? They all did, in a way. I mean, you were saying that we didn't go to film school. But I think our, our film school was, I mean, the best thing about film school, I suspect, not having been, but talking to you even earlier, is the sort of relationships that you have with people that you meet there and the collaboration. So it was through that collaboration and those different projects that sort of learned things. But I feel, I don't feel, I feel just as kind of, just as much that there are things to learn now that, as I did when I did Three Joes. So I feel like I've learned things from every film and hopefully continue to, and I'm sure Ed feels the same. Yeah, I mean, just to pick up on that, I think, you know, it's, it's like, in a way, we were just friends, you know, and had a kind of a mutual interest that then, you know, did something about that, just set up a small society in Trinity, but it wouldn't have had to have been in Trinity, of course, and then made things, and I, I, was, I wasn't joking when I said they weren't great, they really weren't great, but it's very important to, to actually make things, and, and a lot of the time you find that people talk a lot about making things or talk about a lot about the difficulties of getting things made but actually it's it's sort of not that hard if you have the right mindset I think and it's the most important thing because until you try and make something and and show it to other people you don't really learn and you don't pick up you know you don't you don't develop as a filmmaker and when I say filmmaker I mean that's an inclusive term to include everyone who might work on a film I don't mean just a director or a writer so, so that feels to me like the most important impulse and the most important impulse to kind of indulge or to act on is to, is to just make things. You just learn so much from it. Do you think, for someone starting out who has nothing behind them, no, what would be your advice for someone beginning? Like, what, what do they have available to them now that maybe you didn't when you were starting out? I mean, the, like, there's so much... There's so much room now. Um, I mean, the difference is the only... The thing we had that isn't the case now is that if you made a short then, pretty much everybody would watch it because there wasn't much around, whereas now everybody's saturated with material, you know, from people are posting stuff on YouTube, all over the internet, um, and it's really easy to get stuff out there, but it's harder to find an audience maybe. That was the one thing you had then. But I think what is so much better now is just the access people have to technology that they can use to make things. I mean, you know, there's a filmmaker, uh, Sean Baker, who made Tangerine, and then he went on to make Florida Project, and he's a really, really fine filmmaker. Tangerine was made on an iPhone, and it travelled, did festivals, and had a release in cinema. And, and I think people, the, the difference now is that you can, with what you have available to you, shoot, edit, and 
sort of release, in a sense, your work. And despite what I said about the saturation of, of, of content, there isn't actually all that much really good stuff out there. And if somebody does something good, even if it's technically not that polished, even if it's a bit rough, if there's something authentic about it or something kind of, I don't know, just that feels uh, fresh or, or deep or lovely or funny or any of those good adjectives, then people like Ed are extremely good at finding those pieces and thinking there's a person that's I'd love to talk to and you know I'd love to develop things with. So that's the difference. I mean, again, just to pick up on that, you also you notice in lots of different art forms, and I think you know with us and our contemporaries, we just gravitated towards each other. You know, whenever that was a long time ago now, but. But our friends were, you know, um, people like Paddy Burnock and Damien O'Donnell and John, John Moore. Moore uh, thank you. And Leslie McKim and, PJ you know, Dillon. PJ Dillon. A whole bunch of people who, you know, have now, you know, have very successful careers in the industry. And so I think there's a, there's also, there's a, it's very important to try and recognise talent in each other and to kind of, and to, but to be as professional as possible about that. So in other words... Just because you may be doing something for the first time doesn't mean you shouldn't take it absolutely seriously and that, you know, the different roles that people have, even if they've never done it before, if you're the props person or you're going to shoot the thing or you're going to do costumes or whatever, even if you've never done that before, to take it as seriously as possible and try and do the best job for each other and for the group. And I think, that's, I think it's very important that you take the work seriously, even if you don't have any money behind you and even if what you do ultimately may not be that good when you look back on it i think the more seriously you take it the more effort you put into it the more you'll learn and the more you'll understand where the deficiencies were and certainly you know when we really started off it was kind of i think just after we left college and around that time or whatever we made three joes which is lenny's film and then our friend stephen rennix directed a film called public toilet then and Paddy Brunock directed a film, and Damien O'Donnell directed a film, and, and, and everyone was working on each other's films and, and sort of taking it very seriously. So it's sort of, there was this kind of cluster of activity, but I think that cluster of activity finds, you know, the people within it do find each other. I mean, John Carney, who's a little younger than us, from day one was just shooting stuff with his brother, Kieran and, and Tom, and a bunch of friends. And they were, and, you know, we crossed over with them, and we did things with them as well. But they took it very seriously and they thought they had something to say, even though, you know, maybe some of the stuff was uneven. But it was, it was always acting on that impulse to do good things, you know. So, Ed, you began funding or working on The Favourite ten years ago, which, as a current film student, I find <laughs> very intimidating. <laughs> I suppose when a script like that uh, appears on your desk, do you instantly know that it is something special? Or does it become special when more... People join, like come on board. Um. It totally depends. Yeah. I mean, with with the favors, when it first came to us, it was it was the basic idea, which is factual or at least semi-factual. But the basic DNA of that story was, you know, a true story, and that was intriguing, and that always, you know, endured if you like. But it took a while to form, and it took a long, you know, really that a lot of that ten years to kind of turn into the. To, to become closer to the film that we ended up making, which was telling that story with a kind of 
a very contemporary sensibility and with a lot of humor and you know it's quite a risque story so it's not the typical period drama so to answer your question sometimes things take a long time to form yeah. i mean when you know we first read garage the script of garage i mean You've done quite a lot of work with Mark before that in terms of the story, but the script was dynamite. It yeah. was absolutely brilliant. And it did take work. But So sometimes things arrive and they are much more formed and they are really exciting, but it just depends, I think. For you both, how, how do you balance the creative side with maybe with the funding or how do you, yeah. Sure. How do you find the balance? I mean, even though the roles differ, so Ed has much more involvement and responsibility for that side they also swap over in the sense that Ed's also very creatively involved he's a creative producer and similarly as a filmmaker I do have to sort of understand the realities of what's makeable at what scale you know you know you might have a to understand the sort of mechanics of the market just so that you can you know that you're not attempting to do something which could never happen because it's too expensive for the kind of audience that it will attract or, you know, and, and then understanding how to work within a certain set of constraints and knowing how to say um, in conversations with Ed that a certain kind of aspect of something is essential, that it can't, you know, that's the thing that has to, we have to do. These are the other things that we can shift, change, adjust. So they do, you know, that's the nature of filmmaking and the difference between being a filmmaker and a novelist is that the novelist can sit down and imagine absolutely anything on any scale, uh, as sweeping and enormous as they want. But the filmmaker actually has to find a way of fitting that vision into a kind of, into this large, both you know, cultural, economic, distributional world that's out there. And, and, and part of, and then be able to do it in a way that doesn't, you know, become hugely over budget or otherwise kind of, you know, disastrous. So it's always part of the conversation. It, it, you know, and there is some, there are sometimes frustrations. I mean, there are projects that I would love to make in a certain way, which I think are probably at this particular point in time not makeable in that way. But, but I do, in a, in a sort of weird, maybe slightly perverse way, I actually enjoy the, I don't know, the, the grindy sort of friction of filmmaking. I like the, the kind of battle against the, you know, just the practicalities of things. I think, I think it somehow stimulates some people creatively to have those constraints. So I don't feel like it's a kind of an entirely oppositional um, situation. The two things kind of oddly work together. Um, working on adaptations, what Richard did and Room were both adopted from novels by Irish writers and you're about to begin shooting Sally Rooney's Normal People. So is it important to create films with Irish associations or Irish content? Is it important to you as Irish filmmakers? Yes and no. I mean, when, when, I, when I said that, I mean, obviously we live in Ireland and we come across a lot of Irish material, but say for instance with Sally's book, with Sally's book, that was because it's a brilliant book, not because it's set in Ireland. And in fact, with Room, that came out of Lenny and I having a conversation after uh, Frank saying, you know, we should try and do something a bit more international and a bit bigger. And we were literally looking through the New York Times 
critically well-reviewed films of the year and we came across Room and so it was coincidental that Emma was Irish in that case. So I, I think that, you know, I think naturally when you're starting off you might end up, and it's probably a good thing to sort of look at your immediate culture and your immediate surroundings for material and for inspiration. Not least because, you know, there's a really good funding system here which will support that, you know, so you're kind of leaning into those opportunities and there are plenty of them around. I think certainly now for me, and I think for Len, although I'll let him speak for himself, whether something is Irish or not is, is not key, but it's also lovely to think that we'll be doing normal people and we can stay at home in Dublin and spend the summer doing that. That's a, that's a real positive too, but I'll let him talk. I do have a feeling that, and I know it probably more intimately than anywhere else, and so there is a way in which, that I, a way in which I would like to keep telling stories that are set here and having a kind of particular conversation that you can have about the culture that you live in. But on the other hand, to get to a, an audience and also to so many of the things that are stimulating and exciting are also connected to the history of film, you know? And, and growing up watching uh, films that are, like it's, too t it's so tempting and so kind of interesting for a filmmaker to, I don't know, tackle a Western or something like that. Or, or you know, we live in a very globalized world anyway, and what's going on in America at the moment is kind of central to all our lives, whether we know it or not. And therefore, those stories are also ours, you know. Yeah. But having said that, it's, it's not since Frank have I shot in Ireland, and that's seven years ago or something like that. So I feel very much like I'm looking, like I'd said, I'm very much looking forward to being here, working with Irish crew, um, telling a story which is sort of grounded here and where the voices are very familiar to me. Mm. But I know that I will continually make things abroad as well, as, as long as I'm allowed. <laughs> Do you always work with the same crew, uh, even abroad, or um, very... There are a few key people that, and I think we're unusual in this, but... Um, so, well, obviously myself and Ed go back a long, long way. And then also the composer I work with, Stephen Rennox, we go back a long way. Um, we were friends as kids. Um, I work with an editor called Nathan Nugent on the last four films. And uh, he's a very central sort of person to me in terms of collaboration. And then in other aspects of crew, I like to pick people for a particular job or, or feel like there's something very kind of healthy about working with different people. So it's a combination. Um, but with Stephen and Nathan, they've worked, you know, Nathan came to Canada for room and um, Stephen's composed on everything that I've done. And I think, yeah, there's a sort of core, but then outside of that, things change. Room was inspired by a true and difficult story. And Ed, in 2002, produced The Magdalene Sisters, which was based on true and difficult stories. Can we call something so difficult entertainment? Um, is there a line to be drawn, or are, or are these important stories to tell as filmmakers? Okay. I mean, this, it's a big question. Mm. I don't think anything should be... I mean, I think entertainment is great, mm. but, you know, but films can do lots more than just entertain. And some of the most kind of compelling experiences I've had in cinema are films which are very difficult and have aspects of, you know, uh, deal with painful things or, or make you question yourself. And I think the best work always does in any art form. So I don't think any topic is off limits. I think it's just about how it's dealt with. 
and I know certainly with the Magdalene sisters and, and, and Room, we felt that what we were doing was kind of defensible ethically, you know, that what in Room it was, it was not exploiting for any kind of like purposes of titillation or anything what was going on. I think it was done in a way which was honorable and that's important. I actually think sometimes the entertainment end of things is more questionable when it takes horrific situations and sort of milks them for thrills. Um, if you were going to make that argument, it's not an argument I make, but if you were going to talk about where the line is, it may be more in that end of the industry than it is in the sort of, you know, more, more, more serious end. But I do, yeah, I feel we should, there's no shortage of entertainment, you know. Now, everything needs to hold the attention of the audience. It's not, I'm not suggesting that there's a kind of, you know, eat your greens quality to a serious film that you should just like put up with it and eat the broccoli because <laughs> um, it's good for you. I think it has to be something that you want. I mean, you must want to keep sitting there. That's the only obligation of the filmmakers that the audience doesn't want it to stop or doesn't want to leave. But outside of that, I think there are many experiences that are compelling. You know, it's not like pure pleasure isn't the only compelling experience, I suppose, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I agree, I agree with that. I mean, like when we're looking for material, you know, you know, as, as a company, we have a lot of colleagues and, and they, um, they're always looking at both new filmmakers, but also looking at particularly books and articles and magazines. And so we draw on true stories an awful lot, like huge amount and um, I mean we're developing a project together Lenny and I about a, a boxer set in America in the early 60s which is a true story and um, we've countless others so it, it's just an obvious source of inspiration and then I think as Len says it's all about making things that you know whether they entertain in an obvious way or not um, at the very least engage and if they engage you and you're prepared to interact with them well that's the most important thing I think. Yeah. So I suppose the next question I have is, what do you think the future of Irish cinema may look like? Um, <laughs> I'd be hard to say. I mean, assuming we don't all, you know, blow ourselves up or, you know, return to the dark ages, of, in, in, you know, politically or whatever, I think things are very healthy. I think, you know, the future of Irish cinema is, is everybody here who does you know, who really wants to do it and who, as Ed described earlier, takes themselves seriously enough to push themselves and, and work and try and, and, um, and out of that will continue to emerge voices that people want to listen to. Yeah. I think we have a pretty good system in place for supporting young filmmakers and that's very healthy. I don't think... At the beginning, and Ed will remember this, at least when we were younger and starting, people were very obsessed about what Irish films should be. You know, There was an idea that, that, that there had to be a sort of national cinema with its own distinct personality. And of course, that's a sort of myth, really, um, because creative people in their, like, in their DNA are pushing against constraint, generally, and What's important is that there is a space in which voices can be heard. That's all that's necessary. Um, and I think at the moment that's, that's a pretty healthy space and there are, there are opportunities for people to, to speak there. 
Yeah, I think I, I agree with that. I also think that, and I hope that kind that Irish cinema will be more diverse as we go forward. And the film board are very aware of this, and that's obviously about bringing more women, you know, female filmmakers into into the industry, but also bringing people from very variable backgrounds, people who may not, you know, you know, people who may sort of be challenged in their socioeconomic background, or people who may have come to this country recently and you know weren't born here, but are are now making this country their home. And I, I think that, you know, even looking at the Oscars this year, um, although, you know, you can't sort of applaud every decision that was made necessarily, there was a sense that, uh, you know, diversity is beginning to kind of make an impression. I mean, there were no female filmmakers nominated this year, which uh, is obviously not a good thing, but I think, over time, I think we will see more, you know, more opportunity for, for you know, non-white males, let me put it that way, of privilege. And arguably Lenny and I are uh, white males of privilege, so yeah. maybe a dying breed, which <laughs> yeah. would be a bad thing. But I think, I, and I think that the film board have been very good at, at actually pushing that agenda and not, not all, you know, it's happening, it is happening across the industry, but... Not all countries have been as um, front-footed as, as we have. And I think that, you know, not only is it right and proper, but it turns out that diversity is enriching. It leads to better cinema. It leads to better storytelling. So there's a really strong kind of cultural imperative, but there's also a strong economic imperative as well, actually, because you just get better, more better things. So. For countries so small, do you, do you think it's in our blood as Irish people, creators and storytellers, both like in films and across the arts? I'm very sceptical about all arguments about, you know, national characteristics generally. And those sorts of ideas don't have a, a very good history. Um, it is definitely true, however, that sort of statistically, there are some, you know, writers and recently more filmmakers it took a while i think yeah. but it is true that i think culture is important to us in this country has been important to us and maybe that's often true of a place where sort of political life was more constrained but cultural life was was rich who knows it's a big and difficult question to answer but i think it's always one has to be pretty wary because um as ed said you can start if you start thinking that there's a sort of you know the Italians are a great crack, and the Irish are brilliant storytellers, and the French are a bit, you know, a bit po-faced or whatever. It's very, it, I think it doesn't encourage people who don't fit the stereotype. So it is very easy to look at the film world as it is now, as Ed said, and less so recently, but, but in, over the last, you know, 10 or 20 years and say, if you're not, if you didn't go to a certain kind of school or you don't come from a particular background, maybe it's not for me. Is it dangerous? And, and any such generalisation tends to be more excluding than including. And absolutely, it's not true. I mean, I didn't think it was for... I mean, you know, even being from the background that I was from in the mid-'80s didn't seem like much of a chance. But now particularly... Um, it's for everybody. And if you feel that you've got something to say, in fact, the, the less like other people you are, probably the more interesting what, it, you know, what you're going to say is going to be. And the only way the culture ever gets to look at itself is really from people who don't quite fit into the middle of it. Yeah. Um, so I would say, 
for whatever, I don't know why we seem to be producing. I mean, actually, I'll tell you what, there was a long time where we didn't have any. There weren't filmmakers who were out there. Yeah. And really, rather than looking to some sort of inherent something in the Irish water, um, it's probably much more to do with the fact that we've had funding for X number of years and we've had a support of government. Yeah, I think that's true. I think it's like, you know, we, we as I said earlier, we sort of grew up, you know, we're probably around your age-ish, I'm talking very, very generally, but when the film board was uh, reinstated in the early 90s, and that just meant that there was a way for us to get, to, to try and make things and get things made. But also, we've had a lot of failures. I'm not including Lenny in that, he's had no failures whatsoever. But the rest of us have had a lot of failures. Um, and, as, and as an industry, we've had a lot of failures. So it's, it's back to that thing of, you know, you know, the most important thing you can do is, is to try and fail and have then the smarts to learn from your failure and to do something, you know, kind of on that, you know, on the basis of that insight uh, next time out. And the reason I think we are seeing, um, you know, these filmmakers featuring over the last few years is because there's been a lot of things tried and failed and clever people have been persistent and stuck at it. But it is very unusual, which is, you know, it is unusual. I mean, for, and I, I don't think it'll last. And I think, I mean, just, I think things come in waves. And I think if you, if you remember in the mid-90s, you had kind of a time when Jim and Neil in particular were having you know, they were having great success, which was very unusual, and then that stopped. And now you have, I guess, another period where, you know, Lenny and John Crowley and John Carney and Cartoon Saloon, and you know what I mean? They're, they're kind of having success now. Yeah. And hopefully that'll last, but it sort of feels... I particularly hope it lasts for me, but I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us here today. Pleasure. Opening the 2020 Careers and Screen Day was a discussion focusing on the work of female filmmakers. On the panel were writer, author, actress, producer Amy Huberman of Finding Joy, Can't Cope, Won't Cope and Striking Out, and producer Rebecca Flanagan of Treasure Entertainment, whose films Viva, Handsome Devil and Papi Chulo have been commercial and critical successes. First up you'll hear Emmy Award-winning director Dervla Walsh, whose credits include The Handmaid's Tale, Little Dorrit, Fargo, Penny Dreadful and The Tudors. Asking the questions this time around is the IFI's Aoife Coughlin. But can I ask you, just for the purpose of today, to try and cast your mind back to when you were leaving school and maybe talk about your first steps into this area? Sure. What I want to say is when I was at the stage you're at now, I truly hadn't a clue what I wanted to do. I really knew what I didn't want to do. And um, I'd say 30 years later, there's still a bit of that. Um, and the point being that... Just to have, you know, I had an appetite and a curiosity for so many things. But back in the, um, I hate to say, mid-80s, when I was doing my leaving search, there were really just a, you know, I'm from a small town, Tubbacurry in Sligo, where um, our career guidance was really about um, applying for nursing, the civil service, working in the bank, and then being a housewife, all of which... um, some of those choices at times I regret I didn't make to emigrate or to go to go to college and the kind of very just the arts are, are 
or commerce or medicine. I mean, in a way that seemed like they were the only options. I mean, I know things have hugely changed, but I literally sat with my CAO form and went through it as a process of what I wasn't interested in and was left with three things, which were law, computers and communications. How any of those are connected, um, I don't know. Um, but law I was interested in because I just loved watching them. Uh, law on the TV and Petrocelli and the theatre of, of, of law, not realising the Irish system was so different. Computers, because seemingly the next big thing that was going to happen was computers and my parents were saying you should have something good to fall back on. I didn't, I'd never seen a computer. And, uh, and thirdly, communications, because um, um, it sounded interesting, photography and radio and film, but I didn't know anybody who had a career, or how, how on earth was that a career? So um, um, I filled my CAO form out in, in, in that direction and then begged the, uh, the bus driver of the, the bus to Athlone at the change of mind form saying it's so important that you post this letter for the change of mind slip or otherwise I would be a failed computer geek somewhere and instead <laughs> um, I went and did communications. Um, so it's really important that there's so much pressure on us to what we want to do and um, just college and going to college is... Is, was such an education itself and just the experience of college in films and in um, clubs and societies because certainly working in, in this area as a director and I really didn't think I'd, I'd um, ever be a director I kind of wanted because it always seemed like something other and I know that's changed a lot but I had, there were no role models growing up there were, I didn't know any uh, people who worked in the business there wasn't even you know a, a, a cinema at, at home so but I did have an interest in theatre in in drama with a local drama group I was involved both on stage and I, I grew up in a house my 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 dad and grandfather used to build the sets for the for local plays my my mother kind of ran the local group so I was very involved in the community and could see what a coming together of people could create the creativity of, of, of community and the creativity of, of networking and I didn't intellectually I didn't understand what that was it was just growing up in a small town and people helping each other but that's the essence of that and at the heart of what I still love about what I do and um, what I think is at the heart of filmmaking, which is about, what I love about it is the collaboration. I mean, I have ideas, but what's joyful is to work with a, a, a camera person or a producer or an actor and, it's, um, and the chemistry of, of those ideas um, that, that come together. And, you know, that can start with me having an idea about, you know, like from a piece of music and, and what visuals you put with it or, you know, an, an early drama I did was about a girl, um, uh, you know, had eating obsessions and, you know, became about um, a, a, anorexia and I did, you know, loved basketball as, as a, in school and I just had very clear image of how I wanted this to start and she was a basketball player. So in, in your storytelling, in whatever aspect of, of, of film and, uh, and TV that you guys may end up in is you just constantly have to pluck things from your own life and so therefore a key thing I would say is to um, to experience life to do things to get out there be it be it you know in in sport or 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 with friends or with, with crafts because ideas I mean lots of ideas come from reading and, and watching films but so many ideas for stories or how to put stories together or the process of coming stories is about collaboration and about teamwork and how you interact with other people because you know um, good drama isn't 
what people say, it's about what people don't say, because we rarely say what, what we really want, and, and you know, that's, that's, that's called subtext, and, um, and it's kind of in the spaces, you know, and I think you probably, you know, you, you know that, and, um, uh, you know, in, in friendships, it's, it's what's not said is where there's real tension and, um, and drama. And I know I've gone off a, a bit, on, but I suppose I just wanted to say at the heart of it, you can be a, a camera person, a producer, an actress, a director, and as I say, I, I never thought I'd, I'd, be, uh, I'd be this, but it's all about curiosity, and it's all about being in touch with your fear, and... Um, and the fear you have now about what you want to do or what you don't know you want to do, I promise you, rarely goes away. I still have the fear today. I'm about to work on a project and speaking to the actress last night. And, um, you know, you feel the fear every day. And that's a good thing. So, Rebecca, would you like to tell us a little bit about your path into this industry? Yeah, I think a, a, probably a common theme is going to be, yeah, you know, that we perhaps all started not knowing ex exactly what our destination point uh, was going to be or even what we wanted it to be. Um, I think, you know, uh, I thought I did know what I wanted to do. I had only ever really wanted to do a liberal arts degree. I, I loved the kind of just uh, uh, intellectual, like, I, I liked the academic side of things. Um, and from that, you know, and I had gone on after that to do a master's and I had also done a couple of years of, in King's Inn, so I had thought I was probably moving towards the law. But what had always fascinated me and, and what I had always veered towards, even when I was looking at it from an academic point of view, was storytelling and the role of storytelling, why we tell stories and the function of that and why it's so important in terms of understanding who we are in society. And also just on the other side of it, I just, I, I loved film. I, I, I always had, but it had been just something as a hobby. I, I didn't have the first notion of how you would try to start to make that into something that you would do um, as a profession. Um, but, and, and, and it wasn't just film, I, I, I loved books, plays I came to kind of later, I didn't have much, much access to that, but it was something that I was just kind of obsessed with, but from a hobby point of view, it wasn't something that I was looking to make a career out of. And I had kind of accidentally, when I was in King's Inn, I had met people who were working on short films, and I was like, oh, okay, you know, I'd be interested. It's a bit like what you were saying, Dorf, like just of, and Amy had mentioned this too around Dramsock, it was just about being part of the gang, I'd love to be around it, I was just doing kind of production assistant, and, and I had just slowly then started to get more work and actually paid work and I got a kind of job on a 12-week shoot as director's assistant and it was one of those things that once I was in it I couldn't imagine being out of it but what I was good at I didn't I didn't know I was I was certainly good at being uh, an assistant I was uh, you know I, I was hard working and I was very committed but you know beyond that I wasn't sure I you know I, I, I knew I wasn't a writer and I knew I wasn't a performer but I, and I think when I had started, I, w I wouldn't have known what a producer was. But as I kind of moved on and I, I worked in lots of different areas around film, what I realised that I could do well, and I think it really came, started to become more clear to me, was I worked for a long time in the Irish Film Board, which is Screen Ireland, and I was head of development there. And what I was doing then, I was just reading 
endless numbers of scripts. And I started to realise what it was, what were the stories that really appealed to me, what were the things that I thought worked, what were the things that really kind of fired me up and made me feel like this is something I can't, I'm dying to see get made and I would be frustrated if, uh, and that I could put a lot of energy into getting made. And it was at that point I realised, I think that what that is as a producer, um, is that somebody who you can identify what it is that you really love in terms of the story and what medium you think that might be best suited for and then bring your kind of energy and your ability to bring people together and bring talent together and actually start really um, making that work. So I had left then and um, set up my own company and it was an absolutely, it's, it, it, it's, I think, you know, again, it's a very privileged position as a producer because you get to, in the same way, you know, as Derv was saying, you, when you're bringing together the actors and the and the writers and the talent, you get to do that from a producing point of view of seeing the project through from the very, very beginning, from, from the first idea and working with the writer and then moving forward, you know, going out, approaching directors, putting a package together, then the hard part, finding the money, you know, to actually make it and having to sell it from that point of view. And I, I think a lot of people think of producers of it as it being the huge, and that is a big part of it, but it's kind of the necessary evil part of it. It's uh, the most thankless part. It's the most thankless to, you know, part of it, for sure. <laughs> and then you get out the other side of it, which is, you know, to actually then go and create this and how you launch it and, and bring it into the world. So you, I think, again, that was something that it was, it's finding the thing that you really, really love. And for me, it was finding stories that I just kind of felt like, you know, there's so many of um, the projects that we've had and we've done, you know, films that we've done in Los Angeles and in Cuba and, and you know, in places all around the world. And the only thing that really kind of brings all of those stories together, it was stuff that you couldn't bear not to get made, that, you know, so that you were really willing to find any creative way of going, you know, okay, there's nobody who's willing to write big checks for this, but we can find some way of doing it. Um, and I think, you know, for in, in, in many ways, certainly from a creative producer point of view, that's, you know, that's what you're doing. And it's amazing because you get to work. And, and again, I think so much of this, we're talking like kind of producer, director, writing, but I'm sure for a lot of you here, there's so many other roles uh, within filmmaking, which is a hugely editing, the, the DOP, the design, you know, and actually, even when you go behind that, there's a huge kind of business part of it, if it's people who feel like that is more, where there's, it, it, it's, it's an industry that does really, there's, there's a position for nearly everybody, if it's something that you feel that is, I, I don't quite know, it's, there's so many roles that you can actually find yourself and put yourself forward for. I, can I just say, I, I think that's a really important because it seems like filmmaking, oh, you have to be the one up front who can articulate and look good. And it's fascinating on the floor. The, I mean, the, the props um, person and the person who, you know, takes the attention to detail. I was doing a drama about a kid's birthday and the attention he went to to cut the slice of cake that cut through the child's face and the ball because that's kind of what the theme of the, the, the story was. Our um, graphic artists, you know, if, if, if the dressing on the set or it's diaries or, or books, the tension they go yeah. to, like you can pick up a, a little prop in a book that will never be seen in detail and somebody has sat and written what were the inner thoughts, mm -hmm. what might the diary be of that character. So it's, and editors are 
truly fascinating, lonely, geeky people who just have, are, normally have fabulous math mathematical um, brains and sit for hours and days and weeks and months in a room with no windows and are able to kind of reconstruct stories and not, not have emotional baggage to it So um, and problem solve in, in a creative way. So I think it's a really... Imp there's something for everybody. All of these different people are storytellers. So in terms of yeah. how the cake is cut or what the hair and makeup is going to look like on that day or what the costume, what the props, these are all people who have a common vision of what this story is. And it's a thrilling thing that you bring people together with all of these different talents, all of these different passions and enthusiasms. And together you create one vision, which is brought together absolutely by the director and as has had the seed from the writer. But I think it's that is where everybody starts to get the real thrill is that you get to bring all of these people together and, and each in their own way has to be a storyteller and really understand what storytelling is and why we're doing this and that's a very thrilling part of it. But I wanted to get back to you Amy if that's yeah. okay. I thought it was really interesting what you were talking about making that uh, shift from acting uh, into writing and yeah. you know how difficult or you know what that would you like to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I I start my writing career started with with books. I've I've written two books, and as much as I love that, again, it kind of came for like a need and love of of, of storytelling. Um, but it was a real joy, and you know, people say, "Well, you write another book," and I might down the line. But I I've I've just fallen in love with, as we talked about before, the community, and I had it as an actor, and I felt like there was a jump from when I was on set, and I love I love the fun on set. And like taking myself away to write in isolation, as much as I like it for a while, I get really bored on my own. So the the the, the real joy was was bringing all this to life. And um, like Derv and Rebecca are saying, none of that can happen with, without every person behind the scenes on the floor bringing it to life. Like you know, the it was it was such a thrill on our first day. Even like the, the second series come in and see what the the set production had done with the office that we were filming in and, it, and again it just elevates it and it's another layer on the story and every single thing that you see you know before like in front of the cameras behind it's the attention to detail it's the layering on the story and like they, they, they could not exist without without it and it and um but yeah the, it was it was a jump but I it was something that I and I've learned so much even in the last two years of doing it but it's that collaboration and it's the sparking ideas off each other and 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 the how how story evolves and I'm still learning I still have a lot to learn but um I I really really love it and you know also we, we were we've been shooting a comedy and as much as <laughs> Rebecca's doing the toil I was having a great time <laughs> um, <laughs> and it was really it was really lovely to be able to bounce that off as well because there's no there's no fun in it if you if you're if it's not bouncing off you know the other actors or the crew and it was you know it, we we had, we, had, we had a great time and I you know I'm, I'm kind of itching to 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 get going again and, and write something can you just join me in giving a huge thanks to our panelists That's all from this week's podcast. A reminder that this year's Careers and Screen Day takes place online on Monday, March 10th. For more information, see the IFI Careers and Screen website or our social media channels. We'll be back next week. I hope you'll join us then. The IFI podcast is produced by the Irish Film Institute. The Irish Film Institute is principally funded by the Arts Council. The IFI is a charity. For more information on how to support its work, visit ifi.ie forward slash support.